You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out race92.com for all your racing merchandise needs. I'm your co-host, Aaron Mactio. Other co-hosts you may have seen walking out of Barber Lounge 459 with a big old smile on his face. You've probably seen him at a dirt track. He is a one and only Mr. Scott Bowie. Hello, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing good. I got that air conditioner working thanks to the fine folks at Good Guys. Ryan and Bryce set me up, so thank you very much to them. Yeah, you look uh, um, a lot more comfortable today. Boy, I wasn't the other day. That's what was rolling off me the other day. I recorded this in no doubtly the uh hottest room in the house so it was uh it was a little hot in here but that's all right i suffered through you did and i know there's some other people who were inside of your house to suffer through as well and they were able to live through it so thankful for that i mean they came through in shining shining colors man wow but uh yeah no it's uh it's nice to finally have air though Oh, I'm sure. So our episode today is none other than 2004 Indianapolis 500 winner Buddy Rice, um, which was a great interview. I think everyone will enjoy it. Um, You really had a lot of um, really interesting things to say, valuable things to say, and um, definitely he's not really afraid to speak his mind. Very candid. Very candid. Um, He's going to say some things in there that may or may not. irritate some people but i don't think he cares uh at all <laughs> so uh no it, it it was a great interview it was really nice talking to him i never ever spoken to him before in my life so it, it was uh it was good to talk to him yeah so um next week our episode's going to be jock lazier which was another really really good interview jock is definitely one of the nicest guys in racing and um I know he's got a lot going on now, and he definitely took some time out of his busy schedule, so we do appreciate it. Um, I think everyone will enjoy that one as well. Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed talking to Jacques. Um, didn't know a ton about Jacques, but man, when you really look at his career, it was it was a just a different type of career, right? It it, it was. Um, I mean, he drove a lot of great race cars, but he was always like, I call him in the, in the interviews, like super sub. Uh, and that's no knock. I mean, that, that means that people really thought highly enough of him to hire him. It was just, um, he just got in this odd role in the sport uh, and he didn't really break out of it, but he, he did have some good moments in the sport and he's got some great opinions and thoughts and it was really nice talking to him. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it was pretty good. I would say a pretty good week in racing, kind of interesting, interesting week in racing. I, I don't think we can um, g- do this episode without speaking about um, obviously the Alex Palou, um situation. Um, our good friend David Land has done an outstanding job of covering that. Yes, he he's done a really good job. He and a few others have really covered that uh, by extensively as you can without having or at least divulging true insider information. Um, Alex 
announced he wasn't coming back, or actually Ganassi announces Alex is coming back. Alex says he's not coming back, and then McLaren says he's driving for them, and then he says he's driving for McLaren. And then he said, she said, starts from there. Uh, who knows what the future is going to hold? Um, a lot of people didn't think he'd be running for Chip over the weekend, but he did run in Toronto. Um, and I think everybody was professionals about it. He uh, he had a kind of a rough start to the weekend, but he finished pretty well. He finished somewhere in top ten, which was a good finish for him, I believe. And um, so yeah, or at least he was in a top ten. I don't remember exactly where he finished, but uh, he, I mean, he gave his entire effort to the team. The team gave their entire effort to him, and that's all you can ask. Um, so yeah, it, that was interesting, you know. And then Tyler Reddick announces uh, right after RCR announces that they're looking forward to a career, you know, a couple more years with him. He announces he's leaving to go to uh, twenty three eleven. So. Just uh, just a strange week in, in motorsports. Yes, very strange week. And then um, I think we also have to mention the, and we talked about this a little bit last week, the Andretti kind of turmoil with the team. Yeah, and then, you know, that, for whatever reason, that just is not going away. Uh, even though Rossi's running better. Um, but Grosjean, I mean, just it's just kind of a mess over there. Um, and I don't, I don't foresee that changing at this point. Um, it's too bad. You hate to see it all in that way. Um, because you know, it started off so great by winning the 500 and, and, you know, Alex, Alex was, Alexander was considered, uh, the shining star in the sport for, for a period. And now there's, you know, it's just. DNFs and crashes and war of the words or, you know, and uh, hopefully when he gets to McLaren, things will change. He gets back to being who he is. Yeah. And, it, you know, that was kind of the deal with, um, with Rossi, right? I mean, he, he was yeah. not having the strongest season until they made the announcement and all of a sudden he started running like, better. Yeah. So, I mean, you can kind of take what, however you want to take that, but it's, kind of a weird weird deal it's kind of hard telling yeah it, it really is strange and it and it everything kind of centers around ramon for some reason um i you know who knows i mean people who are around the paddock probably know you know as a casual observer there's just no way of really knowing what's going on there um but you hate to see it uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, I know some people love the turmoil and the controversy and, and all that and the cauldron of hate as they were calling it and all of that. But at some point, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, at some point it's, that's all gimmicky and yeah. at, at the end of the day, it's, it's human beings driving race cars and you just kind of hate to see these situations where they're, getting crashed or getting into each other because, you know, things can go wrong and people can get hurt. And, um, so that's my opinion, at least. Yeah. It is interesting because I mean, it's kind of blown up just because it's on the biggest stage of open rule racing in America. Right. But I mean, these things happen and probably even bigger things happen in the lower 
ranks of the sport. I mean, USF 2000, we can definitely think of a few things that have happened this year. Um, you know, probably even Indie Pro, Indie Lights, and obviously it's not blown up just because of the people that are involved with IndyCar and also just it being on the, the biggest stage. Well, it's just, you know, you get egos involved and at all levels of sport, people got drivers and teams, they all have big egos and uh, feelings get hurt and, <laughs> you know, and just, it's just things like that. And it's, you know, whatever, as long as nobody gets hurt, I think that's the only thing you can say is just, yeah. you know, race cars can be repaired. Yeah, that that, that is true. So um, I don't know if we really have much more news to really cover. No, Scott Dixon wins at Toronto. Uh, Chris Bell finally gets his oval win. New Hampshire. Uh, congratulations to them. Uh, our buddy Jagger Jones, he got back to his good qualifying ways. He sat outside the front row in both races. He ran third in the first one. Uh, second one, you got the front wing knocked off going for second and, uh, ended up still running six without a front, without the front wings. So great effort by him. Um, sad news. Uh, I'm sure everybody's heard about it. Uh, USAC standout, uh, one time NASCAR development driver, Bobby East, uh, gets, uh, his life ended at a gas station in California uh, on Thursday, I believe it was, after some sort of argument. Just so sad. Uh, I remember watching Bobby race uh, Kenyon cars and midgets. Uh, he's won 50-plus USAC races. He won three USAC national championships. He won 20 plus USAC midget races. He won 11 silver crown races. Uh, he did a lot in a very short span of his life. Um, his father, as many will know, Bob East, and his mother, Janice East, owner of Beast Race Cars, the most successful car builders of all time in midgets and um, silver crown cars. Uh, his dad's the best, you know, when his dad ran the Steve Lewis nine team, they were almost unbeatable and Bobby grew up around that. Bobby ran for Steve, won his national championship for Steve, won a lot of races for Steve. Uh, and I just, I hate it for his family. I hate it for his mom and dad and sisters and. His nephew, Charlie, who, as everybody knows, lost his life. His his father lost his life, Jason Leffler. Um, so you just, you know, thoughts go out to him. Uh, I don't know what roads in Bobby's life led him to that gas station in that area of California. Uh, but it's uh, it's sad that it did. Um, so again, best wishes to his family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I hope everyone enjoys interview with Buddy Rice and stay tuned next week for Jock Lassier. And I hope everyone has a great week. Yeah, everybody, please have a great week and take care. 
Just wanted to thank everyone for listening and watching. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe. And also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere where podcasts can be found. We do appreciate everyone watching and listening. Our guest today is a 2004 Indianapolis 500 winner and won the 2009 24 Hours of Daytona. He is also the technical director for Dry and Rainbow Racing. We are joined by Buddy Rice. Hey, Buddy, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. And hey, that that is your, I guess I should have asked this before we start, but that is your title with Dry and Rainbow, right? Technical director? Yeah, I guess so. It, it moves around. I got all kinds of different jobs I do with them, but yeah, as a where we're at right now it's basically the technical director all right so um talk a little bit obviously you know you, you win the 2004 Indianapolis 500 but what actually so your your father was a drag racer right so that's probably what got you interested in racing yeah my dad i've been around drag racing and race cars and stuff like that like my whole life since i was little so that definitely got us started and uh you know, I played a lot of baseball growing up and was kind of heading that direction, but I was right around uh, junior high, high school, things started to change and um, kind of went the direction of go-karts and one thing evolved into the next and next thing you know, I'm driving open wheel cars and things just kept going down the road. Would you say when you started, you know, the karting path um, and just four wheels in general, I mean, did you have a, was your goal ever to win the Indy 500 or to compete in it? Or what was your goal kind of starting, starting out? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, I watched a lot of Formula One back then. I was a big fan of Senna. Um, I went to some of the same training stuff that he went to uh, when I started getting into, into big cars in 96, 97 with um, Human Performance International. And then obviously I went on in 98 to become a Red Bull athlete and was with them all the way through almost 2011. Um, so I watched a lot of stuff evolve and change. I mean, I watched Indy 500. I loved it. I loved Indy cars. I loved Formula One. Big thing at the time was I'm not one that, you know, I, I guess I, for lack of a better term, I don't always have like these lofty goals, these crazy aspirations. I try to keep things somewhat in perspective, and I just – I always wanted to drive open wheel, and I wanted to be a race car driver as I started getting into that, and that's where I went. But, I mean, you could have never have guessed or thought that I would do what I've done, and I, uh, I'm just lucky. You know, a lot of things a lot of things went my way. Timing was really good on certain aspects, and obviously in others it, it wasn't, but I was able to, you know, win Indy, win Daytona, and, and be a part of a, a small group of people that have been able to do both. When you started, um, I mean, so, so you went, so you were in cars for a while and then you went into USF 2000, right? Was that your first formula car racing? Yeah, correct. Yeah. I went right from go-karts to F 2000. Then I went to England for the junior Vuxels for team USA. Then I came back, ran Atlantics for three years. Um, then I became a test driver at one point for Ray Hall for the IndyCar program. Um, and then I went into Indy cars. I was still driving sports cars at the time and just kept, you know, kind of kept going. So your first year in IndyCar was 2002 with Cheever. Um, your first race was Michigan, right? So was that your Michigan. first? Okay, cool. Um, did you do, oh, I'm trying to think, did they do ovals in Atlantic? Yeah, they did, didn't they? They did a few. Just a couple. Yeah, just my couple. first 
actually, I never even did an oval race until 1996 with an F2000 car. Uh, my dad and I owned it, and we had a, a local guy helping us, and um, we just showed up at one of the pro races, just showed up, checked it out, tried to do it, and we ended up qualifying on the front row with the oldest car by six years. So, <laughs> like, it's 96, so we qualified on pole to 1990 Van Diemen, and everybody else was running new 1996 Van Diemens at the time. What uh, what was that like when you went to Michigan and got a full taste of that? It was wild because I was in line to get the that Cheever seat to start the season. And, mm-hmm. you know, for money and political reasons, I didn't get it. And what ended up happening was they ended up having a problem with it. And um, I got the phone call. I was driving home. I got a phone call and was told I had to be in Kentucky in three days for rookie orientation. So I went home, got on a plane, flew to Kentucky, did a night test and got past my rookie orientation, got done that night, got on the plane next morning, flew straight to Michigan and then was running Friday morning in Michigan. And to go there with my mom, her whole side of the family is from Lansing, Michigan, and they ran the port of Lansing. So for me to go there, do my first race in Michigan and having family there was cool. Oh, I can sure. only imagine. Yeah. yeah. The um and I mean the so the Red Bull I mean the Red I always thought the Red Bull team was really cool. It's kind of a cool deal that they had. I remember like their hospitality thing. I mean Red Bull obviously put tons of money into racing, um, especially well now obviously they basically have two um, Formula One teams. But what was um so from there the next year after Red Bull you. Actually, you were so you you did a full season with that team in 2003, correct? That was your first full season. I didn't do a full season because I got fired with two or three rounds to go from Cheever. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yep, I didn't even make it the full deal, and so I ended up I got fired, and because the cars were so bad and we were having like issues, and we went and did a test at Kentucky, and so it didn't go very well because I. I'd made some comments about some stuff. So I got released <laughs> after that. I went and drove some sports cars again. And then I got, I got a, I got a truck deal with uh, Thor sport. And I was heading to do that. And I had a, uh, a truck deal. I mean, a, a Bush deal too, to go test a Bush car. So I was going to test Bush. I tested the truck, raced the truck. I had it. And I, was, I had a multi-year deal on, on the table for Thor sport. But before I went and did that test, after I'd been released, I showed up at the Texas race and I met with, uh, with Ray Hall and I'd been the test driver for Bob for like three years at that point, two years, I've been testing the champ car for him. And so they brought me out there to talk. Well, we did that talk. Well, that I was leaving the track heading for home. And then I was on my way to go test the truck. And that's when Kenny crashed and had that big, that big one with Schechter there. And then he told me to sit tight and I said, okay, well, I got to keep going. And then all of a sudden I did the truck deal the truck deal went good. I came back, and then all of a sudden, I got a phone call. I had to fly within 48 hours. I had to be in uh, Columbus, Ohio, to meet with Ray Hall. And I uh, showed up and got offered to drive that because the game plan was for me and Kenny to be teammates, run a two-car operation at Ray Hall. And then with the crash, they decided to pull back and just stick to one car. How um, surreal. I mean, so, I mean, that month of May in 2004, I mean, you were fast the whole month. You win the pool. 
obviously you win the race. Just, I mean, how surreal was that whole experience just that month, like being on top the whole month? Um, and this is before you even win the race. Um, because like you were saying, the, the year before, you know, things were kind of unsure. You basically, you know, got fired from Cheever. Um, you were riding trucks and all of a sudden, I mean, you're the fastest car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the biggest race of the world. Yeah, I mean, we knew we were quick. We didn't know we were that quick at the time, obviously, but we had a pretty good idea because we should have won. We should have won Japan, and mm-hmm. we didn't. We got, I don't I forget, we ended up finishing like fourth or fifth there, but on seven cylinders. We had lost a coil pack uh, about 10, 15 laps in. But we should have won Motegi and didn't, and then went there. And our stuff was just kind of rolling, and we were just kind of doing our thing, but, you know, we weren't out doing the big PR number. We're just working on our car. We had everything rolling with the G-Force and Ilmore and Honda, and everything was going good. And then, um, you know, me and Todd Bowen, engineer at the time, and I'd been with those guys obviously before with the testing program, and he and I were going at it a little bit back and forth on the setup. We made a, a final adjustment, and we were laughing about it actually this month, so I just brought him back in with uh, Dry and Reinbold. <laughs> but we'd done that deal, and it was, uh, you know, it was really good. And we obviously sat on pole. We knew we had one shot at it. Scott Remke and Bob were not going to let us take multiple runs at it. And, uh, you know, timing everything, like, we had the whole thing hung out, and we were, we were really good, and it just everything just kept rolling from there. Right. And I'm, I'm sure from the competitor standpoint, um, you, I mean, part of you probably w- wishes that the race probably would have finished, you know, the full 200 laps under green. But I'm sure when you're when you're leaning the thing and there's a storm coming, and you're the winner at that point, I'm sure you're not going to complain, right? <laughs> no, I'm definitely not going to complain. But I mean, I, I think everybody knew. I mean, we led more laps than anybody. We had right. the last lap. I mean, we had everything covered. We just we had that stall in the pit stop. Um, we'd had some issues leading up to that with the traction control, and it stalled. And then after that, we just turned it off. But we knew. I mean, we we're just sitting. And then when Remke called with a stop. One to two stops to go. Remke made the made the call like we got to go, so we started marching forward and had the thing fully wicked up, and we didn't care anymore. We just ran the thing full rich and ran all the way to the end. And you know our car had been quick; we knew what we could do. And no, I mean I don't think the outcome wouldn't have been any different. I mean I guess we could have made mistakes or something could have happened, but at the end of the day, I mean to be as short as we were, it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't think at the end of the day. That was a that was a pretty crazy victory lane too because that isn't that the one they had to move in, inside. Yeah, yeah, it was because in the, it was the first time they'd done it in the Formula One garages. Which, I mean, obviously, I, and I mean everybody knows I'm a little different. I have the flat bill. I do all the stuff just a little differently, so it was perfect <laughs> for me just because it was so different that it's just one of those right. things that just kind of all like fit together. And everybody was laughing like, "What else could you ask for?" It's a, a big gnarly storm. There's no normal celebration we're all stuffed into a in a formula one garage then the thing is that it was completely uncontrolled and completely wide open which it's never that way so it's just full mayhem the mm-hmm. whole time and it was it was cool it was fun everybody remembers it just because it was so different right i think just everyone that was involved i mean obviously bobby and and david letterman um who has an enormous amount of passion for the race and I'm sure to, you know, share his first indie win with him like that was pretty special for sure. Yeah, for sure. It was his first time his name was on the is this, is the first time his name was on the on the owner sheet, his name was on the team stuff, his name was everywhere. So to do mm-hmm. that, 
You know, it was really special for him. I'm sure. He was there. He'd always been there, but nobody knew it. And this time he was in pit lane. So it was a really special deal for Dave being a local guy. You know, Scott Remke, who's not with us anymore, was also from there. He used to spend every day he could down at the Speedway. He knew everything there was about the Speedway. So did you think about, like, how Bob got there with with their program and, and – and Truman and everything else just to bring everybody in. It was just, it was a very special time for that all to work out. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you're talking about like not doing a lot of PR stuff earlier in the year. So talk about probably going from zero to a hundred real quick. I mean, you win the Indy 500 and then you go on, I, I, the, you know, pretty big media tour, right? So you were on the David Letterman show, I believe. Yes, correct. And then did you meet, did you go to the white house? Yeah. It was the first time in like, I don't know. Maybe since Mirrors, since anybody's oh, really? been there. Hmm. Yeah, it had been it had been a really really long time, and 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 Bush is a huge sports nuts fan guy, so that was super sure. cool to go do that. No one had been there. We had a great time. Like that was super cool. We got to, I got to throw the first pitch out at Yankee Stadium. Um, I think they hadn't really been doing that since nine eleven, um, so that had just started. We you know we did the stock exchange and we did so much stuff and we flew around so much the whole week. It was one of the busiest tours I think they ever had because we just didn't say no to anything. We're like, okay, let's just go. Like just, just like have at it and let's go have a good time. Now I gotta ask, did you one hop it or did you smoke it? Smoke it right in the glove? Oh no, right in the glove. I played enough baseball. I was not gonna one hop it. Yeah, that's what I figured. And you want know, to hear the best part about that deal was that also had a rain delay. So we went out to go start the game, rain delay. <laughs> We're in there hanging out. It's me, Reggie Jackson, uh, Derek Jeter. We had a uh, oh man, I, I, uh, God, what's the guy? They called him Godzilla. I can't think of his name. He played he played for the Yankees at the time. He came over from Japan. He was over there hanging out. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I know you talking about. His name? I can't think. Yeah. So he was there. All these guys were coming out, like doing the whole deal, and then uh, the. And I don't have the gentleman's name also. He is the trainer. He's the head medical guy for the, the Yankees. And every year what they do is uh, they do the grid. And then what you do is you randomly pick out of a hat, pick a driver. Well, the guy that ended up picking my name out of the team came out and goes high-fiving me. And we're all talking about how he won all this money because of the, <laughs> of the pot and all the stuff. And I was like, I'm like, yo, dude, where's my cut then? <laughs> so we were like all having a good time. Everybody was like, so I got a lot of time to like go down there and hang out and, and meet those guys more than you normally would because we had this, this extra downtime and everybody was just kind of together. So it was actually a, once again, like anything else, it's a little bit different, unexpected and, and everybody's having a blast. Well, and Reggie Jackson's a huge car guy too. So I mean, oh, that yeah, probably, for sure. yeah, so that was probably, you know, cool uh, as well. And how, so, I mean, yeah. after you, after you win, win the 500, it's always like, and back then I think the race in 2004, the race after the 500 was Texas. Now it's Detroit immediately after, I mean, how hard is that to rebound and go into a race like immediately after you win literally the biggest race in the world? Because it seems like usually the person who wins the 500, when you kind of look at the stats, they never do that well. And then in the first race, what's now is Detroit. Yeah, you know the sad part about that is we were leading Texas, mm-hmm. and everything was rolling. We were right in the driver's seat there too, and we uh, ended up breaking a half shaft. Mm. Oh wow! One stop to go, one stop to go, and we and we, we blew the half shaft out of it. And it just, 
I don't know why, obviously, it just it was a night race and maybe it's just the thing got like hooked up or whatever. We never had had problems like that. And we, it just sucked because we had three or four of those races that year in 04 that we should have just blatantly flat one. And then because something happened, we didn't. And that's what ended up costing us a championship. Right. So after, so you won two, three races total that year, obviously the 500 Kansas, Michigan, you I think you finished third in the championship. Um, which I mean that's that's a decent result. But the next year you're still with Ray Hall. You do just one more full season with Ray Hall, right? And then you um two more two more. Okay. Gotcha. And then that's where when you got hooked up with Dryan Reinbolt um in two thousand seven, right? And that's obviously who you're involved with now. So I guess kind of how how did that transition work from driving for Dry Reinbold, um, you did two full seasons with him, right? And then now, obviously, you're like you said, technical director and multiple multiple roles. So, kind of, how did that um, relationship kind of start to where, like, I want to do something with Dry Reinbold after you know I have my driving career? Well, what happened was I was at X Games and I'd been running my go kart team for like twelve years or so, like. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite early, maybe it's 10. And I had a bunch of kids coming out of go-karts that wanted to move up. And at the time, I'd been helping out with some teams on the West Coast. I was living in California. I was helping out some short course off-road guys. My kids were starting to move up that I had on my go-kart team. So I was helping them get up there. And I was at X Games for Rallycross. And I was cruising through the paddock. And Dennis and those guys had teamed up with uh, another group, and they were running – uh, supercar and it had Nelson PK Jr. driving. So I was over there and I talked to Dennis. He asked me what was going on. I told him what I've been doing and I was basically on the on the short end of just getting ready to just close my go-kart program down because I knew where go-karting was going. It was getting too expensive and I could see the direction of it. And I and no one wanted to and I say no one, none of the teams wanted to get together to try to work together to make sure that it wouldn't go in a bad direction. So I was like I need to mm-hmm. do something different. And you know, Dennis said, hey, show up for this, this lights test we got going on coming up. Let's go look at it. I said, okay. So there was a lights test after the last race in Vegas. I brought three kids out. I talked to Dennis, and I said, look, I got a couple of kids that want to go run this. I got a couple of guys that want to go run open wheel and blah, blah, blah. And so what we ended up doing was finding a way, and Dennis ended up going, look, you bring the kids and come work for me, and I'll go buy all the stuff, and then you just you run the lights program. And so since then, basically, I've been running the lights program. We run anywhere between two and four cars a year. And I put all that together, and I bring all the kids, and we make it happen. And then now we're on to supercars. This, this last year, we ran, you know, uh, four Audis. Mm-hmm. And we partnered up with Joel Christofferson over out of Sweden. Um, and he's tied to Matthias Ekstrom. And now we did, we're going to continue that moving forward with uh, four electric supercars for this upcoming year. And we're running two to three lights cars in Europe, and then we'll come back here and we'll run three to four uh, lights cars here in the States. I've been doing that. And then for the last, I ended up starting with uh, Ed Carpenter and Hildebrand on the IndyCar program. I did that for about two, three years. And then I ended up switching to, to while running this, obviously the, the Rallycross program, I switched over to the IndyCar program with Reinbold, brought Hildebrand over there. And mm-hmm. then I've been helping out on that whole program and just, you know, 
helping those guys. And I you know, have a good relationship with Dennis. I like driving for him. Um, obviously, when I came on board, a lot of things were changing and evolving and trying to get, you know, go in a different direction than they had been. And we had a lot of success. And it, me and Dennis were just talking about it um, about a week ago. And Indy at the shop in the condo about how many times we had really good results going and something happened or this or that. And it just, you know, we had a really good time and I really enjoyed my time there. So now I get to stay there. Right. For job. <laughs> did you actually do, I know, did you say you actually raced in the rally cross at all? I did do the 2013 X games for Volkswagen. Okay. Um, I drove down there and then after that, I haven't, I didn't really do it anymore. I was supposed to, but some things didn't work out. And then I ended up just bringing drivers and, and doing what I'm doing now. And then I, you know, like this past, I was just past race. I ran, I was the strategist and ran Santino for dryer. Hmm. Well, it was a good race. Yeah. I mean, we should have finished fifth or sixth was probably what we deserved. Uh, we ran there basically from the second or third stop on. We were right there in the hunt. I mean, the two McLarens and the, and the Ganassi cars were super fast. We just, we were missing a little bit to run with them. We were able mm -hmm. to keep up, but we weren't going to be able to race them like we wanted to, to the end. And then, but with a, with a stop to go, we had a little issue and stuff, but it's all good. You know, I, I think a lot of people ask themselves, uh, you know, why is that program an indie only program? Is it a case where they just, I mean, that's the one you guys really want to win or is it just dollars and cents or, you know, kind of what's, why do they just do Indy only? I would say D all the above. It's the one yeah. that makes the most financial sense. We also get to put a lot of focus on that. So our cars are Indy only cars. So we're really, you know, our cars are really good for that. And I would also say is just that with our rally cross program and everything else we have going on, you know, we really like doing that. We see a future in it. But, you know, to try to go run full-time in IndyCar, um, the budget's really high. I think it's hard to get that budget and how we're trying to do it and what we'd like to do. So I think that we just, we're a little, you know, we're different. We run Indy only, but, I mean, we have the capability of winning. We have the capability to run up front. We just proved that with Santino. Um, I think that we can make another step forward with the adjustments that we made coming into this year. I think we're, we're massive benefits. I think that it proved itself and we're going to make another leap forward. And as an Indy only team that we can be super competitive, but we also really like the rally cross program, like where it's going. We like the future of it. We like the people that are a part of it. And I think there's a, you know, I think there's going to be a lot going on there and I think it's going to be really good for us. Now the, the rally program, it's the, so it's a nitro rally cross. It's um, Pastrana's league, right? Correct. Now, was Dreyer do? Were you guys doing any of the extreme E stuff? It no, seemed like we oh, okay. No. Yeah, it seemed like there were several teams that were um, IndyCar. I think Ganassi and a couple other teams were doing that. But yeah, no, I'm correct. Yeah, the um, no, the the rallycross stuff is really cool, and man, they do that. Um, uh, Utah that um oh I forget what the um Utah Motorsports Park or whatever that that course uh, Travis designed um the Scott Speed actually like I think he broke his back on it it's pretty pretty crazy stuff yeah that was just an uh, unfortunate deal just a oddball weird timing thing that caused that mm -hmm. um Travis's stuff is super cool 
the people behind it. There's a lot of horsepower. The thing's going to really, it's going to take off. They got, you know, they got a lot of sponsorship dollars behind it. They got, a, they got the right partners behind it. Sure. Um, I think you're going to see once they announce it, there's some new things coming down the pipe and some other people getting involved. And I think when people see that, I think it's going to show it's got the longevity. It's going to show it's got the, all the stuff that it's, it's going to be here for a while. And I think people are going to be pretty excited. Yeah, because I know the series um, or the different formation of the series kind of, you know, struggled there for a little bit because it was a global rally cross. And then I know there was some financial deals there with like the owner. And then it went to, I think, the ARX. And then now it's uh, the Nitro. Is that the, that's a correct um, kind of progress of the, of the leagues, right? From GRC to ARX to Nitro. That is correct. And it's definitely caused us a little bit of headache just because. You know, sure. people question it, what, what it's going to do. But it, I, can, right. I can tell you right now, the, the group they have right now and the situation it is and where it's going will mm -hmm. have sustainability and it'll be solid. You know, you, obviously you've, uh, you're, you're, have been or are in um, many, many, many different facets of racing right now or, or recently. Um, kind of what do you see the state of motorsports I don't know. It's changed so much. It's it's so diluted in the lower ranks uh, in America. Um, it's kind of sad. You know, we were already viewed earlier as not being quite as competitive as the Europeans, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I don't think that was always true because I just don't think the guys that went over there got a fair shake at the deal. But, I mean, now we're so diluted. The kids don't race against all the best people and you're not as you're not as prepared as you should be. Now, that doesn't mean that the the top level kids aren't capable of making it happen, but it's just I think it takes a little bit more work. Um, there's a little more effort that needs to be done. There's just things like that, and you know, in America, there's kind of the state of where everything's going, how expensive it's all getting, pretty gnarly. Um, yeah. No, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I, I just, I'm shocked. I think the GT program is super awesome. There's so many opportunities with this GT3 platform running it as is globally. I think that was the smartest thing those guys could have done. I mean, no mm -hmm. one could have foreseen the future on that. But what they did and where they've gone, oh, my God. I mean, you can take any GT3 car and basically with the exception of weight and tires, you can show up anywhere and go run that thing. And, you know, I mean, obviously, certain cars and programs are going to be more um, adapt to certain situations and tracks. But at least you know where everything's at and you can go run it and it's, you know, you got you got a shot. So, you know, I think, it's, I think it's super cool on that. I just, the open wheel side, I think it's just, I think it's a little bit disappointing. I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm not saying I have the answer, but it's definitely not what it used to be. Yeah, I, I feel uh, you know, like you were kind of pointing out, and uh, what a couple of our guests on the show this year have uh, been uh, younger drivers. Uh, Jagger Jones, who's doing USF 2000, uh, Jack Way Miller, Miller, Dr. Jackson, um, some of those kids, and so I followed it a little more this year, and it's it's um man it, that lower division stuff. This stuff is, I mean, it's expensive and it's, it's just, it's a tough go. I, um, I don't know. 
It's a. Uh, I'm not saying it's not good. It's just I would like to see it. It doesn't feel as healthy as it should be. No, exactly, and it's just because it's, I, I believe it's just uh, the financial side. Mm-hmm. You, know, you start cresting certain numbers, it completely changes the pool of people available to get in there. Right. So, you know, it's super expensive to run an open wheel car. I don't understand why. You know, you're not allowed to test, you're not allowed to develop, you're not allowed to do anything. Yet it's more expensive than it was when we had stuff and we were basically wide open. You could do as much testing as you wanted and development was almost wide open. It just, so it just makes you wonder where's all the money going, you know? And it's just sad because I think there's a lot of good kids that could, you know, be very competitive and go do stuff, but they don't have the dollars. And so what you end up happening is, is all the athletes and all those people end up going somewhere and, um, kind of get stuck and, and it is what it is. So, yeah, I I was listening to someone talk the other day, and they were just talking about even the tire costs in the lower divisions. How how you know you know the numbers I heard were double, triple what they they estimated the costs were going to be this year. I, and I don't know, I've never bought a set of tires, but for the for that for those divisions, I haven't. I can tell you that in like sprint car midget world, the tires have definitely went up quite a bit. Um, and I just, these, these unknown variables that used to be, if they just moved a couple percentage points, wasn't a big deal. Now they're swinging 20, 30, 40, 50%. And that's a big, big deal. Yeah. I don't understand that. I, I mean, I get it right now with all the stuff going on, but even part of this happening <clears throat> stuff was good. I mean, not tire prices, but everything else just running race cars was getting really expensive. And I don't know why. I mean, right. I don't get it. So, so obviously, you kind of have like the front office job now with Dry and Rainbow Racing. Is there any racing that you you still do at all, or any kind of racing you would like to do at this point in your life? Yeah, I mean, I won't get into it too much. I had a I had a deal in place where I was going to go drive a uh, hypercar in WEC. Oh, um, but because of COVID, that changed it, and they went with more European drivers. Um. So that kind of sucked. Um, if the right deal comes around or the right program comes around, I will I will drive again. But it's got to be the right deal. I've put way too much effort into the management side of in running teams and managing kids right now to throw that away. So, but if the right deal comes around, I'll drive again. And my goal would be to try to get to Lamar. That's the main focus right now. I have some ability of getting there, but I want to drive. I could go drive some GT stuff, but I don't want to do that. I want to get into a a prototype sure. and also my driver ratings my driver ratings a problem in so until i get dropped to a silver i'm not gonna have very many opportunities so yeah the driver ranking stuff we've talked about that with a couple other guests of the show and that's something that in everyone we've interviewed about it like you know we've had renas vk on um and a couple other people who drove at daytona and no one really understands <laughs> why why the rankings work the way they do no, I mean, here's a prime example, and I love him to death, so I don't think I'm saying anything bad, but, like, Maidmo Gidley's considered a bronze driver. Like, really? The guy's driven everything. And I, granted, he's had some crashes, he's had some incidents and stuff. He's a great driver, but to be, you know, and then you got other guys that are penalized from driving for so many years that they're considered platinum or gold and can't get demoted, even though they haven't driven in years. 
So like, I don't understand the ideology. I don't understand the thought process, you mm-hmm. know? So, and there's no way some of us like myself, I can't get a, I can't go drive in a gold or, or platinum spot because the manufacturer paid so much money. Those kids that they've taken care of for so long and invested so much, those kids deserve to see, and the manufacturer deserves to get their money back against it. So I totally get it. I can't fault them. You know, they're doing what they got to do what's best for their company, but you know, myself, Joey hand, and there's, I mean, there's a bunch of other dudes out there that are all stuck in this no man's land and we can't go drive. Like if I was a silver driver, I'd have a, I could get a job tomorrow, but I'm not. So I can't. So they, they tried this three years ago and couldn't get me in. And so I'm waiting. So either I turn 50 or my driver thing somehow changes, which they say is going to change next year and I'll get dropped. But you know, they say that, but talks cheap. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's just so crazy. So when you, I mean, when you look back at your career, um, obviously the Indy 500 one, I would think would definitely be on on the top of that. But, um, you know, the big thing people always say, like, when you win the Indy 500, is, it changes your life. Um, I mean, really looking back, like, did it, re- I mean, if you look back since you won the Indy 500, w- would you say that it kind of changed your life in ways that you thought it would? Or were there like surprises or, you know, opportunities that you got that you don't think you probably would have got if it wasn't for that win? You know, I think back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it changed mm-hmm. It changed everything. I think after that, it doesn't do what everybody says it does. I mean, here's a prime example. Like, I won. did everything on the planet, promotional-wise, appearance-wise, anything and everything we could go do. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm a little different. I Like I said before, I got a flat bill. I, I dress different, like whatever. So when everything didn't do what it did in 05 and going into 06, we are like, man, it's like, okay, maybe I'm a little too hardcore. Maybe I'm a little too extreme. Maybe I'm just too different. Like whatever, you know, Dan Weldon won in 05. He and I sat down in 06 at the middle to late and, and nothing had changed for him either. And it's just, it seems to change. Times have changed. The way people look at stuff changes. You know, you couldn't get two more polar opposite people than me and Dan Weldon. Mm-hmm. And sure. We had sat down and discussed it, and we are like, okay. And when he said he couldn't get anything to click, he asked me how my stuff went. And don't get me wrong. Did stuff happen? Did I get deals? Absolutely. Was it like what everybody says when the floodgates are wide open? You just get whatever you want, and you get to cherry pick, and, you know, it's rainbows and unicorns? Absolutely not. That did not happen. And when it didn't happen for Weldon, when I, he's a complete different person than me, then it just showed you, like, everything had changed, and it just shows you the destruction of the split. It shows you the destruction of other things, and it just happened. That's, it is what it is. So here we are. And you know, now you got to make the most of it and you got to adapt and carry on and make it work. Hmm. For a, so for any young driver that's, you know, for example, um, good friend of the show, like Scott says, Jagger Jones, he's in USF 2000. What would be your biggest piece of advice for someone starting kind of in the bottom level of the road to Indy? and has aspirations of racing the 500 and winning the 500. I think that the biggest thing I could tell any young driver coming up is drive as much stuff as you can, all the different stuff you can, because I call it putting, it's, it's putting tools in your toolbox. How many jobs can you do? If you only do one thing, that means you have one tool in your toolbox, that means you only do one thing. So the more stuff you can go drive, the more diverse you are, the more expansion your brain is, the better you're going to be, the better all around well-rounded driver you are so take anything and everything and all opportunities you can get make sure it's a proper opportunity and a proper deal but that's that's the deal 
you got to be good and you got to you got to try new things and expand and get outside your comfort zone. Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer. We've asked many people that same question. And I, I really think, Scott, that that may be one of the first times we've really heard an answer like that as far as trying diverse, you know, different types of motorsports. Yeah, no, and uh, I think that's a great, uh, great way to put it. And, and I mean, you know, I, like you said, you just got to make sure everybody knows that you're open to whatever. I mean, and that you can get it done if they if they hire you. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to be able to jump in, be confident, know what to expect and do your job. And if you've never done it before, you know, you're going to be in trouble. So that's why I, I tell all the kids I work with, everybody, any opportunity we get, we need to look at it, find a way. Or what I try to do is I try to get them experience and stuff before that comes up so that we can accept those kind of offers and opportunities and make the most of it when it presents itself. Absolutely. Well, Scott, do you have anything else? Man, I don't, I tell you, buddy, I, I, um, you know, I'll be very honest with you. I, I knew about your Indy car experience. I didn't know a lot about your other, um, it's been, you know, been eye opening, uh, to just see everything that you've done. Um, and man, what you guys are doing at dry arrival is pretty yeah. impressive for the, you know, getting, you know, you guys so competitive year after year after year. So hats off to you for that. And, uh, no, thank you for doing the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And you guys want me on, just uh, hit me up. It's great talking to people and uh, being a part of it all. Oh, absolutely. No, we definitely really appreciate it, buddy. And yeah, um, yeah. Tom said you were in, um, you're in Detroit, right? No, I was supposed to go to Detroit to help out an IndyCar team, but we uh, changed that program up a little bit. And I'm actually still at home in Phoenix. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Well, Again, buddy, thank you so much. And um, yeah, no, we'll definitely yeah have you back on the show again. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me.